What do you usually do on Saturday afternoon? Well, feel free. I won't take it personally. Here we go. Um, good to start the way we started this morning. A couple of deep breaths. Know that that's how close our good God is to us. And I have a friend who always suggests that you be where your feet are. So try to, we'll try to be right here. Um, this morning when I was talking about uh, forgiveness, I was going to use a, a story to illustrate um, what kind of a God we have with regard to forgiveness. And I was watching the clock and it was like, it's going to take me too long to get it in there. So I went on. But sometimes we we worry about whether or not God can forgive us. I think that's one of the reasons that we, we have trouble forgiving other people is that we haven't accepted God's forgiveness of us and we haven't forgiven ourselves. And the forgiveness of God, um, I mean, again, it, I guess it depends on how we understand God. But um, there's, there's a great story, uh, another word for story is a parable, in the Christian scriptures, now even if this isn't your book, you know, the, the Christian uh, scriptures, open your mind enough now to just listen to the story as a good story. Even if you don't believe it's the inspired word of God or, you know, it's like, I don't want to hear any of that stuff. Open your mind enough to just listen to a story. And, um, you know, AA doesn't... Uh, uh, put forth one religion. AA is a wide tent that lets everyone in. Now, certainly, its foundations come out of the Christian tradition. I mean, that's what the Oxford groups were, were out of the Christian tradition. The first people had a strong Christian um Christian base, and so obviously that's going to uh, influence what what came out. But I believe the greatest inspiration was when someone said, "Put in that phrase as we understand Him, with, with regard to God." Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood understood Him. That whoever suggested that was inspired, because it can't be just the one understanding. Because there's way too many people and way too many different understandings of God. And so I I really believe that was inspired. So I get real nervous at AA meetings when someone's trying to push one religion over another or tell people, and I hear it, so um, I heard it at a meeting, so I can say it here, you know, unless you take Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you won't get sober. Well, don't tell people that, because it ain't true, for one thing. Um, and, and that's AA's not the place for that. Now, maybe church is. And if you go to a, a church that that's the what's what's being uh, offered, then 
That's the right place for that, but AA isn't. That being said, I'm going to use one of the stories from Jesus. And in these people that want to, you know, pound Jesus down your throat, I want to say to them, just do what he did. Stop talking about him. St. Francis of Assisi, the, even if people know nothing about the Catholic Church or Catholic religion, and, and by the way, Catholic is Christian, and some people get confused on that. Following Christ, that's all it means. But people who know nothing about things Catholic, so to speak, usually know St. Francis of Assisi because he's the one you see in gardens. You know, he has a bird in his hand or he's got, you know, little rabbits around his feet and um, all that kind of stuff. Most people have at least seen, uh, you know, this St. Francis of Assisi. And there was a lot more to him than the uh, he was had a great appreciation for all of creation. That's how he got the thing with the birds and the animals and everything, because he appreciated all creation. And he he believed if you're going to know God, if you want to know God, take a look around you at the creation that God gave us. And so that's that's why you, you see him with the you know, animals and all that good stuff. But there was a lot more than than that. St. Francis used to say to his followers, and now this is the 13th century. So this, I mean, he's a patron saint of ecology long before it was cool. You know, I mean, he was, in the 13th century, he's saying, take care of the earth. It's our mother. You know, take care of it. Uh, Anyhow. But Francis used to tell his followers to preach the gospel, to preach the word of Jesus Christ at all times, and when necessary, use words. In that, what that means is we live it. You know, if you, if you call yourself a Christian and you want to follow Jesus Christ, then do what he did. And that was love one another. You know, it's like WWJD. What would Jesus do? You know, what would what would his response be? So that's I mean, I don't want to do a lot of preaching, but we get it a lot. You know, you Jesus didn't shove things down people's throat. He knew we all have free wills and so forth. But anyway, one of his great teaching methods, any good teacher is a good storyteller. You know, if you think back to teachers you had that might have been good, they're probably the ones that would really tell stories or that type of thing. And Jesus was a great storyteller. So I'm going to tell you, go through a story that he told, and it has to do with forgiveness. Now, <clears throat> I believe that what Jesus was trying to do in living on earth, he came because of love, not because of our sins, but because of, of God's great love. But one of the things he wanted to do was let people know what kind of a God we have. So that's the mindset I'm coming from, that, that he's trying to teach his, his followers or the people around him at his time what kind of a God we have. Now, in order to appreciate the story, you have to think about what was his audience like? They were Jewish people. And in the Jewish culture, the father is the most important one in the family. It's a patriarchal society. The father is the most important one. Um, And so he's telling his stories to a group of people. 
women mm, had not that much value or importance, certainly not children, but the men and especially the father in a family. These are, that's the important thing, okay? So in this, uh, the story is in the 15th chapter of Luke, if you want to look it up some other time. And some scripture scholars, the people who really study this stuff, say that if we lost all of the uh, books in the, in the New Testament, the Christian scriptures, if we lost it all, except for Luke 15, we would still get the whole message. Because in Luke 15, there's, there's three stories that Jesus tells. And they're stories about lost things. The lost sheep. And you know that story. And it's, see, and the thing with parables, the, the, the thing with, with these stories, it was a, a form of teaching. The thing with the stories is they had to have some kind of shock value in order to get the point across. So in the story of the, of the lost sheep, Jesus says, you know, a shepherd has a hundred sheep and he loses one and leaves the 99 to go look for the one. Well, that's shocking. That's unbelievable. Okay, so he's got your attention. That, that, that's kind of crazy. What kind of a God would do we have that goes searching for the one? That's his point. The other story, or one of the, the second story in Luke 15, is a story of the lost coin. And that's the one where he says the woman lost a coin. And she tears the house apart looking for it. Now, every one of us, I think, can relate to that. You've lost something that you've torn the house apart looking for. You know, maybe it's the title to the car, or maybe it's the car keys, or maybe it's, you know, uh, the permission slip that he was supposed to give to the kids so they could go on the class trip and he can't find it. Or, you know, we tear the house apart looking for things. And uh, the story says that when she found it, she rejoiced. She called in the neighbors, had a party. That's shocking. I mean, it's a coin, for God's sake, you know. Uh, but the, the point is, the point of the story is, this is the kind of God we have. So... The third story is about a lost son, also called the prodigal son. So he's, he's, he's set the stage. He's told the other two lost stories, the lost sheep and the lost coin. And remember, this isn't about the sheep or the coin or the son. It's about God. What kind of a God do we have? And he says, what this book when my eyes were better. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So remember his audience. The son is saying to the father, most important one in the Jewish family, the son is saying to the father, I wish you were dead. Really. Because I want the property now. I don't want to wait until you die and I inherit it. I want what's coming to me now. And so this audience listening to 
father give me the share of the property that will belong to me would have been shocked. <gasps> no son should say that to his father. So they're listening. What's he going to say? Well, we're going to tell that kid off for sure. Okay. Okay. So what is the, what is the, what's the next line? So he divided his property between them. So the father does it. So this is the kind of God we have that lets us be, lets us be who we are. And, you know, doesn't force, he doesn't say to him, no, you wait until I die and then you'll get what you're, you know. Okay. It's a story to tell us what kind of a God we have. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. Oh, gee, I wonder what that might have been like. Um, so he, he takes it and he goes off. Leaves his father and his brother and his mother. They don't say anything about the mother here. But he leaves home and he goes off and, and takes, I guess he cashed it out and took what, what was his and off he goes. And he squandered his property. He wasted it on dissolute living, you know. Um, someplace, so well, we'll get to that later. Okay, so he he went and partied hardy, as we say, or in Rhode Island, say party hardy. You know, he, he had a good time. You know, went off and squandered it. When everything was spent, so he wasted all. When everything was spent, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So now he's squandered all his money, and there's a famine. There's no, nothing. It's really bad. The you know unemployment rate's low, and uh, there's a recession, and he's in need. So he went to hire himself. He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. Remember the audience. Jewish people don't eat the meat of pigs. It's unclean. It's unclean. So Jesus is a storyteller and he's painting a story. This is how bad it got. How bad was it? It got so bad that he went out and and he was willing to take this job feeding the pigs. Okay. It gets worse. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. So it's not only bad enough he's feeding the pigs, he'd be glad to eat the slop the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. So we've got a dire picture. The kid is in rough shape. But... When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. So he comes to his, himself. In another translation, it says, He came to his senses. And he said, Here I am, starving. And at my father's place, the hired hands have more than they, more than enough. 
himself, he says, I will get up and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired hands. So he takes some action. He has this insight. I'm hungry. They're well off. I'll go there. I'd be better off as a hired hand in my father's house than I am here. Notice the motivation. If Now, remember the story is not so much about the son, it's about the father. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and I believe that Jesus is trying to tell us what kind of a God we have. Notice the motivation for the son to go back to the father. It wasn't like, I have really hurt my father and he must be, I, I'll go back to him. No, his motivation was, I'm hungry. So we don't need pure motivation in order to go to God. It could be because we're just hurting so badly. We're sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, that's, that's motivation enough. You don't have to have, oh, I've got to have, you know, wonderful. It's only because, you know, I've hurt God. No, I'm hurting. So that's the, the son's motivation. I'm hungry. I will get up. Notice he has to take some action. It's not, I'll sit here and wait till daddy comes. I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. He got up off his duff and did something. So, good example there. But, da 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 while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. What had to be going on in order for his father to have seen him while he's still a long way off? He was looking for him. Remember, it's about God. It's not about the kid. So we've got a God that looks for us. This is this father, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. So he was had been looking for him. He's scanning the horizon. Is he ever going to come back? Is he ever going to come back? And was filled with compassion. He wasn't filled with judgment. He wasn't filled with regret. He was filled with compassion, the story goes. He ran. Now, a patriarch in a Jewish family doesn't run, you know. But you can kind of picture the old man picking up his robe and running to this kid. That's the kind of God we have. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. So that's a kind of welcome. We've got a God who will run out, filled with compassion, put arms around us, kiss us. Wow. If we want it. Anyhow, the son said to him, now the kid's been practicing the speech all the way there, you know. Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. No longer will be worthy to call your son. Make me as a hired hand. Okay, I got it. Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. Okay. So, the story says... 
The son then said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't even finish the sentence. He doesn't even get to the part that says, Make me as one of your hired hands. But his father said to the slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Those three things in that culture were a sign that you belonged to the family. The robe, the ring, and the sandals. Slaves didn't get the robe. Servants didn't get the robe. The family members got the robe, the ring, and the Birkenstocks. They were in. So when the father is saying... Give him the robe, the ring, and the sandals. He's saying he belongs in the family. That's the message. He belongs in the family. And that's not enough. That's, even that's not enough. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost, and he's found. And they began to celebrate. So that's the kind of God we have. Will allow us to go off, squander what we've been given, squander our gifts in whatever way, dissolute living. Go look up dissolute and see what. And we'll allow that. We have free wills. Personally, I think that was the big mistake. We shouldn't have been given free wills. But anyway, God did not consult me on this thing. We can go off and do what we want. And as soon as we head back, as soon as we turn around and head back, we've got a God scanning the horizon, looking for us, runs out and meets us and says, come on in, you belong at the table. You belong with the family. That's the message. That's the message. Two boys, two sons. Now, the elder son, now don't get all judgmental, because a lot of us can identify with this one more than the younger one, but anyway. Now, the elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. I always feel sorry for that slave. Can you imagine breaking this news to the oldest son? So he comes back and he hears the music and he's still, you know, coming in from the fields. And he, he sees this, you know, this music, this dancing and what's going on. So he asks someone, now listen to what the slave answers. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. So he tells him, the kid's home, and your dad's all happy about this. Now, the oldest son's reaction is he became angry and refused to go in. Now, Personally, I have no trouble understanding that. My, my older brother, Bill, the one that, um, you know, 
Kathy, did you drink? Kathy, did drinking cause you problems? Kathy, did you keep drinking even though it caused you problems? That's insane. That brother. Uh, from the time he was 19, lots of trouble with alcohol, I mean, automobile accidents and all kinds of things. He would disappear for, you know, months at a time. We wouldn't know where he was. And, and then my mother would be, oh, I haven't heard from Bill. I wonder when I'm going to hear from Bill. And then Bill would arise from the ashes sometime and, you know, show up. Oh, my Bill's home, you know. My Bill. And, um, and so I kind of, like, can get into the older brother. Um, and uh, that my mother was always happy to see him come home, no matter what. You know, that was you know, my Bill. And... Um, we even had butter when he came home. That's the, you know, poor people's version of the fatted cat. Ooh, there's butter on the table. Um, anyway, I'm sure I'm exaggerating that, so please take it with a grain of salt. But you get the idea. So the, the older brother is, like, really annoyed. And he refuses to go in. Now, remember, the story is not about the boys. The story is about the father. So, what kind of a God do we have when we're being self-righteous and refuse to go in? Do we have a God that says, okay, then stay out. I don't care. We'll party. No. Party. Okay, there is an R in there someplace. Okay. He became angry and refused to come in. What kind of a God do we have? His father came out. And pleaded with him. So, we've got a God that even when we're being self-righteous, even when we're not going to do it, God who comes out to us and says, oh, please, stop it. You belong inside too. Come in. Come in. He pleaded with him. But he answered, listen, the kid says to his father, listen. For all these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I never disobeyed your command. So he says what his relationship to his father is. I have worked like a slave for you, and I've obeyed every command. That's his relationship. And yet, you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. And you might not think that's too appealing and, you know, oh boy, I'm going to get a goat. Curried goat in Jamaica. Very good, man. I liked it, you know. So, you you, you put the right spices, anything can, okay. So, you never even gave me a goat. And this kid gets, you know... But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Now, I would say, pay attention to this. Because not, I'm not saying, oh, we shouldn't be like that. I'm saying this is how we are a lot of the time. And the important thing here, I think the important lesson here, is that the older son told the father what was on his mind. 
So the lesson for us is we can go to God and we can say, you know, like I've tried to be good and I've stayed sober for whatever, you know, all six days and you haven't changed my life, you know. (laughs) We can go to God with whatever. We can go when we feel as though God has abandoned us. We can go to God when we feel that that, uh, God has been unfair that other people have gotten what, what, what we couldn't get. We can go to God and, you know, say, listen. That's what the, the son stopped out with. Listen. This is how it's been to me. He said what was on his mind. That's the important lesson for us there. It's not, oh, that's awful to say to God. No, say anything. Anything. God can handle it. Okay. Notice his relationship to his father, I have slaved for you. I have worked like a slave. I haven't disobeyed one of your commands. His relationship to his brother, he says, this son of yours. Notice when my brother comes back, uh-uh, this son of yours. You know, Parents do that. Did you notice what your son just did? <laughs> Unless it's really good. Look what my boy did. You know. Okay. So he, he, the father tells him. I mean, the the son tells him just what he's thinking. He goes off, squanders your property with prostitutes and loose living and all this kind of stuff. And and you go off and kill the cat and calf with it for him because he comes home. So what does the father say? The father said to him, son, son. So he establishes the relationship. You're my child. You're my child. You are always with me. Always. And all that is mine is yours. So he's saying to him, you belong in the household. You belong at the table. Come in. You belong there. All that I have is yours. All, everything. You're always with me. Always. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours... The relationship, it's your brother, was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. And he leaves the story there. Good storyteller. Leaves you thinking, I wonder what happened. I wonder if he went in. I wonder, I wonder. And the story is for us. We are the younger son. We are the older brother. Any given time. We are the parent sometimes. But in our relationship with God, that's the kind of God we have that scours the horizon looking for us if we run off, that goes out and invites us in when we're sitting on the back porch sulking. You belong inside. That's the message, and that's the kind of God we have. That's, and so when you think, oh, God can't forgive me, it's all right for you, sister, because, you know, you're a nun, and you've got to believe this stuff, and you've got to say it, you know. But you don't know what I've done. Well, you, you haven't heard my fifth step, you know. Nor will you. Wasn't <laughs> uh, that exciting? But anyway, um, but when you're when you're saying, well, that's okay for you or for those good people or those saved people, that's okay. But me, I've done awful things. What you're saying is, 
that you've come up with something that is greater than God's love and God's mercy. Well, that's grandiose. That's, that's just grandiose. That's, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible. We've got a God who comes out to us, invites us in. And we just have to say, okay, I'll accept that. I might not feel worthy of it, but I'll accept it. We will never be forced. Now, maybe this afternoon you're here because, you know, you don't, you're going to get in trouble. You know, usually I'm saying to a group of people, no one forced you to come here. Well, you might be, but hey, you're here, you know. <laughs> well, God knows where your head is, but you're here. But uh, So you're in a situation where you do get forced to do things. But we've got a God who doesn't force us. He doesn't force us to accept our, God's love, doesn't force us to forgive ourselves, but says, come on. You're going to be much better off if you just let that stuff go and stop beating yourself up with it. Forgive yourself for what you've done and accept my forgiveness. Come into the house. You belong at the table. Notice he doesn't say, you know, come in and get to work. You know, it's come in, enjoy. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy the the meal. Uh, We'll dance. We'll do all of that. So that's an important story. Now, if you're saying, well, here she is shoving religion. No, I'm just telling you a story. Just telling you a story. That that's one way of looking at, and and to me it's a very essential, it's a core of my being, I believe this stuff, um, that, that of what kind of a God we have. And so if you're having trouble with forgiving yourself, go to that story. Read it to yourself. Luke 15, easy to remember. Uh, Read it. What does it mean for me? Do I believe this? So then we can, when we kind of, and that's what meditation is, is thinking about it. You know, you read it and you think about it. Oh, wow, I just meditated. Um, Think about it. What does it mean for me? So when we're able to do that and forgive ourselves, we're going to be much better at being channels of God's peace, instruments of God's peace. Okay. Just going to wrap up a little bit on the rest of that, and then we'll, we'll take a break. The, the, one of the lines I didn't, I didn't go into with that prayer, where there is sadness, let me be, bring joy. Again, let's remember, it's not a mission statement. If there's sadness, I'm going to bring joy. And so, couldn't you hit them when they want to come smile at you when everything's bad? <clears throat> when they're sad, help me. That's all we're saying. It's God's work. I can't do it on my own. But where there's sadness, let me bring joy. There will be sadness in our lives. Getting sober does not mean you will never be sad again. Sorry to tell you, ladies, but it's the truth. Um, There's always, I mean, as long as we're walking the planet, we're going to be, we're going to be sad sometimes. And I think the danger, especially when you start in recovery and you're serious about recovery and, you know, it's like you get some serenity and then you hit a, a wall and you're sad and you're depressed. And, and you, the first thing you think or first thing maybe someone tells you is if you were really working your program, you wouldn't be sad. 
if you were really working your program, you wouldn't be depressed. If you, you know, I think you can be working your program and doing this stuff, and because you happen to be a human being, you have sadness. Oh, my. You know? And so all of us are going to have sadness. Um, and, and that's just part of living. You know, sad things happen. Sad things happen. You get worried that, that someone that you care about is very ill, and that makes you sad. Or someone you really have grown close to, you know, gets out. <laughs> you're sad that they're gone. You're happy, you know, that they're, they get out. You're sad they're gone. Um, you, um, you experience death. People die. And there's sadness with that. It's part of living. And when you were using, you didn't have to feel the pain of sadness when things were, were sad, when you were sad, when there was loss, when there was, uh, you, you didn't, you, you could find something to get you away from that. Now you don't, you know, you're sober or you're not using. And so sadness is, can be even, even worse. If we experience forgiveness and healing and honesty, we're also going to experience joy. And so the prayer is that, that when there's sadness, let me find some joy. Let me bring joy to other people. It's important to remember that when we are sad, there, there could be people that are a source of joy for us, that can bring joy uh, to us. And God gives us those people. That's why isolation is is so hard because we don't let people in. But when we're sad, there's usually someone around who can bring some kind of little pinpoint of light, some little joy to us. And sometimes we are a source of joy for other people. We can, you know, just knowing, sometimes just knowing someone's there. And sometimes we're that person who's there for other people. The important thing you cannot make someone happy. And they can't make you happy either. So it's not your job to make other people happy. You, you can be a source of joy for people just by being there, being there for others. Um, I, I know people that, that just never want to go to uh, a wake or a memorial service when someone has died. And they'll say to me, I never know what to say. It's not important what we say in those times. If there's been a death and there's a, some kind of a service or people go, people aren't going to remember what you said. You can figure out the most beautiful thing in the world to say. They're not going to remember. They will remember that you were there. And maybe if they, even if they don't remember, the fact that you were there is a consolation to people. That people show up. That people care enough. So sometimes it's just your presence. That, that can, can be a source of joy for other people. But you cannot make them happy. Nor can anyone make you happy. They can be a source of joy for you. People, other people cannot make you happy. And, and, and I think the sooner we um, realize that and, and absorb it, then the, the, the more chance we have of 
letting the joy in, of being a source of joy. It's, it's the, the back and forth, the give and the take. Okay, I think it's time for a little bit of a break. You people are as hot as can be, so maybe if we, I don't know how you, what you do, you, like, you don't sit in your seats for the break, I hope, but anyway, whatever, however a break goes. And, and what do we say, um, a 10 minute break, is that okay? Is that acceptable, folks down there? 10 minute break? So we'll be back at 10 of. Go away. <laughs>